0: I am the aforementioned Dave Mitchell, and uh, it's good to be with you, and I look forward to looking to God's Word. I have an outline that's in the bulletin there. We encourage you to take a look at that, because you will need that as we go through it. In fact, I'm going to go grab mine. I didn't even bring it up with me. So, uh, if you, while you pull yours out, I'll pull mine out on my bulletin, and uh, I have something for you to, oh, thank you, Susie, to do there at the very beginning. This is like a pop quiz. Remember when you were in school? and suddenly the professor, close your books. We have a pop quiz. We have a pop quiz at the very beginning. We think about the kinds of things that influence us in our faith and to help us to become who we are today. Often God has used people and situations to develop us into the person that we are today. I know that's certainly true for me. And so I'm going to ask you as we begin this, because we're looking at this journey of lighting the way, of, of people who have lit the way for us so we can have that same flame to light the way for others behind us. And in the case of Paul and Timothy, Paul was this father figure to Timothy, and he lit the way for Timothy to walk his life of faith. Each of us have some kind of relationship with somebody who's sort of a proverbial Paul and someone else who's a proverbial Timothy. Timothy. I'd like for you to begin just to think about who is it and in what circumstances were this, was this journey for you and your spiritual relationship. Craig just mentioned about uh, Sam Talbert, influential in him coming to know Christ and uh, marrying them and the journey continued. So at the, at the top of the outline, you have this question. Who has been instrumental to you as a mentor and mentor can mean many different things. Sometimes a book I read. Sometimes a video I see has influence in my life. And sometimes it's a person that meets weekly or monthly or annually. But to you as a mentor in helping you know Christ and grow in your faith, what was it that, that made them impactful? How did this person or these people model Christ or help you to follow Him? I want you just to take a moment just to write down that. We're going to take about 30 seconds for you just to reflect on who that is and what they did for you. Yeah, that allows you to kind of whet your appetite because we're talking about this journey, and one of the things I want to land on is to fulfill our ministry, want to fulfill what God has called each of us to do. And each of us has a ministry. So let's go into the text. I'm going to give you three core things that I think that if Paul were here today, he would say, Calvary, don't forget these three things. Three core qualities that I believe he would command Calvary, because I picked these out of the stories that Paul writes from First Timothy and Second Timothy. These are letters that Paul wrote to a young guy by the name of Timothy, who was the pastor of a church in Ephesus, and he had this emphasis that he wanted to make. Now if you go to Ephesus today, you will find things like you see on the screen here. You will find ruins. You will find destruction. Nobody goes to Ephesus for the reason that Paul went to Ephesus at the beginning. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 19, when Paul first went to Ephesus, this is what Luke wrote about Paul's visit in Ephesus. In Acts 19, 18 through 20, it says, "...and many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, their evil sorcery practices." And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and it was found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And then Luke summarizes it this way. So the Word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. This community was changing. Because of Paul's preaching of the gospel, because of the evangelistic work, because of the teaching of God's Word, this city's economy, and politics was transformed into something that had greater allegiance to Christ and His Scriptures. This was huge. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. That was about 50 A.D. Nobody goes to Ephesus now except to look at what once was. Nobody goes to Ephesus to find out what's the secret of transforming our community by the teaching of God's Word. Nobody goes to Ephesus so they can learn about how the Word of God is impacting and growing and mightily and transforming people's lives. It is not a spiritual hotbed of Spirit-led activity where lives are being dramatically changed. It's just a place to go and look at ruins and hear about what the church might have been in those days and visit the surrounding areas as well. And so all of that I say with a rather obviously negative beginning is the reality is it doesn't take long for a church to sort of lose who that church is and what that church should do because it was just 40 years after paul went there about 50 a.d about 40 years after that the apostle john wrote to the church at ephesus this is what he wrote to the church at ephesus he says, but i have this against you after he commended them for their teaching of god's word he says but i've got a problem he says that you have left your first love. That first love is a devotion to Jesus Christ and the application to God's Word to transform lives. He says, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, I don't, claimed to know exactly what he meant by the lampstand and to remove it. But I know if you go there today, you're not likely to find the light of Christ, the scriptural and biblical teaching that transforms lives and communities and changes the economy and the politics of the surrounding neighborhoods. You're not likely to find that. And so somewhere the lampstand was removed. And that was between 50 A.D. and 90 A.D., 40 years and they lost it. Why? One of the reasons they lost it is because when John wrote this, he's writing not to the original listeners of Paul's evangelistic message in Acts 19. He's more likely writing this, repent, to the children and the grandchildren of those who first saw the transformation of their community. So it tells me, I've got an obligation to light the way so that those who follow me have an opportunity to see and experience the work of God and His Word in ways that I have seen it. I have an obligation and a mandate from God that what I have learned I pass on to others so that the generations that follow me can have that opportunity. It's not about what I want. It's about what I need to pass on that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy to emphasize, and you'll see that. So there are three things that we need at Calvary Church, three things that Paul taught Timothy as the pastor, the shepherd of the congregation at Ephesus when they were really going well. And those three things are these. Number one, that I want you to connect. I want you to connect in personal relationships. I want your church to be like a healthy family that has this dynamic relationship of caring for one another. Notice some of these passages that I picked out of the the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. In the first letter to Timothy, I've called 1 Timothy 1-2, he says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, he has an open and honest, you are my true child. We don't know that Paul ever had any biological children but we do know that he had spiritual children and you are my true child. We need the kind of family relationship where I can be open and honest with one another. He said then in his second letter to Timothy, as he began the letter to Timothy, my beloved son, there was a sense of affection and kindness. There was a gentleness that took place in the relationship of this father, the spiritual father to the spiritual son. We need that kind of help. Where the older generation of Paul looks at the younger generation of a Timothy and says, I want to be open, I want to be honest, but I want to be affectionate and I want to be kind. And those of us who are on the upper levels of life in terms of age, we have an obligation to initiate the kind of relationship that allows open and honest but affectionate and kind so we can look at people and talk to them as a beloved child as a true child. That's what God puts on our hearts. These things were written so that we could learn, observe their models, their examples, and now here we are 2,000 years later, and He says, keep doing it. We also read this, that it's a very vulnerable relationship. Notice what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, I'm longing to see you, Timothy. And here's an interesting thing about little Timothy. He's a rather timid sort. But he says, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Perhaps the last time Paul left, there was tears because in Acts 20, talking about Ephesus, where Paul was with the leadership of Ephesus, this is what he said. Luke records this. He says, and they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him. There was something very refreshing about the vulnerability and the openness, the freshness, the joyfulness, the sincerity of a relationship that says, I can't wait to see you, and when you leave me, it's I, I, Timothy, you are shedding tears over the, over the lack of my presence in your life. There was this closeness, this intimacy. I don't always have relationships like that. But I know that God says for a church, these are things that happen when there's this kind of healthy body, there's this, this freshness. I like to say to a number of people who will keep listening to me, and I keep saying it until everybody's convinced of what a healthy family has or does not have. Let me put it conversely in the negative. A dysfunctional family. A dysfunctional family has three qualities don't trust, don't talk, don't touch. It's interesting that as I look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy, it's quite the opposite. There was trust, there was talk, and there was touch. As they gathered together and repeatedly kissed and filled with joy, and there was tears, there was an embrace. This is what we want for Calvary Church, where we have this kind of relationship that's ongoing. It's faithful and dependable. Notice what Paul writes here. He says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. This would be Asia Minor. This would be the country of Turkey, we call it today. They turned away from me, and here are these two individuals that turned away. They betrayed him. They left him. They, they just turned their back on Paul, whether it was theologically or for whatever reason. I, I, you know, I don't know what the reasons were, but they left. They said, I can't stay there anymore. But I love what Paul says in the positive about faithful, dependable, and refreshing. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, he being held in prison. What I love about Onesiphorus is that he refreshed Paul. There are times in a church when change occurs, and sometimes when change occurs, people turn away. I think about my 22 years here, and every time there was change, can I, talk, can I talk candidly now? We've had a lot of change over the 22 years I've been here, and I'm thankful for some wonderful godly people that are you who are still here. But sometimes when we change, we change bylaws, 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 <laughs> and some people had to leave. I don't get it. I don't get it. We changed service times. Some people had to leave. I don't get it. And yes, we got a lot of great churches in the surrounding area. So we can go and we can find the best situation of the best time and the best music and the best volume and the best preachers. And we can sort of pick and choose and we can just go here and there and find the best situation for me because it's about me. And there are some people who do Turn away. Because change is hard. I understand that. This change that we're gonna vote on next Sunday, it's hard for me. But I'm sticking around. Amen. So now I'm not asking, no, I, I didn't say it for that, but if you if you had stood in a plot, I would have <laughs> but I just want to encourage you as a pastor who has loved you for twenty two years. That simply because there's change, it doesn't mean I've got to change churches. Because a church is a family. Where Paul looked at Timothy, you're my child. You're my beloved child. And they kissed and they hugged and they wept when they left. Because Paul had to travel to other churches. That's community. It's healthy. And when you have an Onisiphorus, and I've had Onisiphoruses in my life. (laughs) I wish they had names like Luke and Don and John. But Onisiphorus, he refreshed him. Now, I love the Word of God. I love to look up these words. Not everybody likes that, but you're stuck with me for this morning. You've heard Eric say, warmth is the new cool. Right? You heard that? Hello. Is this is this the Okay. <laughs> Warmth is the new cool. Okay. Brace yourselves. This word, refreshed, is a Greek word made up of these two: ana suko. Ana is back. Suko is cool. To make cool. Oniscerus, he says, Oniscerus makes me cool. Right? Man, let's just Benedict right now because I love that. You want to be cool? You want to make people cool? Coming to church and being part of a community should be like standing in the middle of Blythe in August. Then someone comes on with a big old air conditioner and just cools you right down. That's what church should feel like. That's what a community should feel like. Because we're going through heartaches. We go through painful things. We go through losses and grief and physical disabilities. And we go through these hardships. And we need the cool breeze of an Onisiphorus who comes along and soothes my soul. Paul says connect at a level where the cool freshness of a friendship helps me so that we can serve together. It's not about me. It's not big holy huddle where we feel good about each other. We get together. We serve together so that we can have the furtherance of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not going to hang around with you, Timothy, so we can just sort of be group therapy together so we can feel good about ourselves. I want to hang out with you, Timothy, so that you can help me and I can help you in the furtherance of something bigger than myself, a gospel message that goes out. That's why we're a church family that that is vulnerable, that is true, that is sincere, that is faithful, it's dependable. Why? Not so we can be group therapy, feeling good about ourselves, but so that we can go out with the gospel that changes lives. That's what happened in Ephesus when Paul came. Lives were changed. The city was transformed. The economy and the politics was different. Paul says, I want us to be a family that works together for something bigger than ourselves. So Calvary Church, what we need is to connect at a personal level where relationships are being cooled off for something greater than myself. Now, as I was studying that just this last week, I am going to read something that's a little bit sometimes hard, so I'm going to put it on the screen. Katie Joy Ramsey, she wrote an article this title caught my attention as I was studying the very thing about community. And she writes a commun- an article that says, God made our brains to need others. I love it when science catches up with scripture. Amen. Look at what she writes Katie Joy Ramsey has an autoimmune disease, and it so debilitates her that she can barely walk across her living room to get to the kitchen. She is in such pain constantly that she worried that her life will never be the same, and she feels like she'd just be a burden on people, and she just physically just can't get through each day because of the disease that has ravaged her body. And then a friend came over and didn't say anything, but just sat next to her. And as that friend sat there with her, thoughts came to her mind that she wrote down. Here are some of the things that she wrote about that relationship. Suffering internalized is dark and heavy, but suffering shared engenders courage and hope. In those early years of illness, I gave up on my survival strategy of withdrawal, and that's what we will do. We will withdraw and self sufficiency by bringing my hopeless, helplessness, and grief into the open. She says, As I shared my suffering with friends, I found the validation. One of the primary ways God heals, grows, and transforms us is through His body, the church, she says. She goes on, where our culture heralds individual sufficiency and autonomy, suffering reminds me I am inadequate to face disease and disappointment on my own. I'm not enough. I was never intended to be sufficient to meet my own needs. God didn't build us that way when He looked at Adam and said, it's not good that man is alone. I'm going to give him a community. The insights of interpersonal neurobiology, science of the brain, says yes, Bible is correct. As well as the gospel story, point me outside of myself for the healing of my brain, body, and soul most need. When I allow my suffering to be seen and received by others, my brain learns how to trust. God made us this way that the community that Paul describes with Timothy is the community that we all need. He says, she says, Ultimately, relationships of shared brokenness teach my brain to rely on the only person, of course, Jesus, who, will, who can and will redeem the pain so rampant in my body and this world. When you and I are part of a community, it's not just another hour of the week and mixed with all other things. We are part of something much more substantial and a commitment to relationships that goes beyond the ever-changing factors that happens within a church community. We are part of something that is rich and deep as God intended it to be. It's why we have life groups. It's why we encourage involvement and service. To find something bigger than ourselves in a community of people that we can work together with because we don't want any of you, I don't want one person in this room to think you've got to go it alone, and until I don't like something, I'll find another community to swap to. There's no free agencies in the church. We're part of a community, and that's why I appreciated Craig's word, since, what, 1973? And Craig's been through a lot with me in some of the challenges. Thank God for that. Because that's what God intended the church to be. So we connect through personal relationships and we grow through the biblical understanding and the application of God's Word. Notice what Paul says about this. Avoid the fake news of false messages. He writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, there's a lot of stuff floating around there in that church at Ephesus and it's simply untrue. I want you to watch out for it. So he says it in this way. Remain on in Ephesus, Timothy. Timothy so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. We want good theology, no question about it, and the next senior pastor of this church better have good theology. We want that. But also, I don't want you to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering of the administration of God, which is by faith. He says, I want you to drill down on what God is doing I don't want you to get caught up in the myths and genealogies. We don't know what those myths are. We don't know what those genealogies are. But they are formulations of opinions. Their preferences are opinions. They're ideas that people have concocted in their brains. They're not from God, but somehow they've come up with them. And there's a lot of big things we could talk about. Let me specifically, because we're in the season of life where next Sunday we're voting on a no senior pastor. And I've I've heard a lot of speculation. I've heard myths. One myth is that the elders had fired me and I'm gonna leave in December. That's not true. Is that is that shocking to anybody? It's just simply not true. Let me get more specific because I don't have an opportunity to do this except today. (laughs) They may fire me after today. I don't know. One other thing I've heard a couple of times in our Q and A times, Q and A times, is that Eric should not be our senior pastor because he oversaw our school when the school went through this transition and changes of, of a lot of long-term teachers that have been here. Untrue, untrue. We've all had oversight over the school. It's just there's no cause effect. There's no relationship. There's nothing substantial there. It's it's a myth. I I just want. I want God's will. I know a lot of you are struggling. What is God's will? The elders have said, if I don't vote yes, I'm out of God's will. No, the elders have not said that. They've not said that. The elders, and i one of them, we did our homework. We were led to Eric. We concluded it's Eric. But we recognize the bylaws give you a responsibility. And your responsibility as a church, of a membership, is to do what we did. Look into these things. See what's true. God's will is that we vote based upon what's true. God's will is not that we vote on things that may be myths or speculation. I am very wary of people making a vote based on things that are simply speculation, not truth. So I invite you to make a vote next week and let God guide you in that. But God's will is that you vote based upon what you've been instructed, or what you've learned in the Q&A and all the other literature that's out there. So we invite you into that. But make sure that the vote is based upon truth, not false speculation. Got it? All right. I don't want to beat you up. We want to teach God's truth because there are people out there that have very differences of opinion. Here's a professor up at uh, Professor of Religion and Society and uh, Santa Clara University, and says this. I want to have a connection to the sacred. And this is where some people get into speculation. But I want to do it on my own terms. Terms that honor who I am as a discerning, thoughtful agent and in a way that affirms my day-to-day life. You see, we want subjectivity. Not biblical truth. We want what makes me and affirms me, and I meet God on my terms, not meeting God on his terms. That's the danger of all this. So that C.S. Lewis actually wrote this. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So we're always seeking for something outside of ourselves, something outside of biblical truth that will make me happy. And sometimes it's in drugs and sometimes it's pornography and sometimes it's in illicit relationships. There's a lot of things out there that we're searching searching for happiness in, but they never quite satisfy. So God says, let me bring you into biblical truth that teaches you the way we should go. So He gives us these truths. I'm not going to go into it, but Acts 20. 27-31. He teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove. This is why sometimes it's hard to preach because it's not just all encouragement where we all feel good about ourselves. Sometimes you teach God's Word, it means reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction because it's People don't change. I don't change. I don't change as fast as God wants me to change. So God is patient with me when He rebukes and reproves and exhorts me when I read His Word, and it's very convicting. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but waiting, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away from their ears from the truth. The danger is that when I get tired of hearing things that make me feel convicted or guilty or I don't like, that we want to go to where I can find something that I like. Like the professor. I want to meet God on my terms. I don't want to have to meet God on His terms. So we live in this, this struggle of the world of today where the Word of God has to impact us. Now, I was encouraged. I was reading just this morning of this magazine, Bible Study. Can you all see that? Can I pass that around? On the picture here on the front, you can't see it, but it's the Philadelphia Eagles, team members of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's an NFL football team, if you're not in the NFL. has had a lot of bad raps this uh, year. But I've been noticing a fellow by the name of Carson Wentz and some of his teammates. Here's what it says about some of these guys that are playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Bible studies are common throughout the National Football League. What distinguishes the Eagles group is the players' uncompromising pursuit of biblical truth. Deep theology. Genuine accountability and gospel fueled charity, they're not interested in status quo spirituality. Now, this is the paragraph that really got me. Plenty of NFL players attend weekly chapel services, they ink their bodies with Bible verses and point heavenward after scoring. Great, but rarely do their verses, their (laughs) verses. Where do their voices flicker with excitement when they discuss God's Word, like the players in the Eagles group? They go beyond surface level Bible study and immerse themselves in the intricacies and contextual nuances of Scripture. Relying on Logos Bible software, I use Logos. That's the Cadillac of in depth Bible study, word studies, commentaries, and good Bible uh, interpretation books relying on Logos Bible software. They perused biblical commentaries and examined keywords in the Old Testament, Hebrew, and New Testament Greek. They also explored the ancient world of the Bible visually using interactive features and other media in Logos. These guys are like in seminary, and they're playing in the NFL. I love that. I invite all of us into that, that you can't get the fullness of God's Word until you get into the fullness of God's Word. So it begins to change us and helps us to be who God wants us to be. Nick Foles, who's the, like the backup quarterback, I think, said, If I have to be at the stadium at 6 a.m., I get up at 4 a.m. so I can have my time with God and His Word. If I have to be at the stadium at 4 a.m., Nick Foles says, I get up at 2 a.m., so I can spend time with God and His Word. Amazing. So outside of the Patriots, go Eagles. (laughs) We love them. What I want for us is this same emphasis, the biblical truth of God's Word that continues to guide us. I love C.S. Lewis because when you have to rebuke and reprove, it's hard. So C.S. Lewis wrote, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Because it would be really easy up here just say, you know, go for it. Do whatever feels right. There's a fellow by the name of Christian Smith who's written a book, and he says the goal of many in our community today, the goal of many in our community, he writes in his book, is that God will make me happy and as long as I have my needs met. That's their goal. These things are difficult to teach. These things are difficult to hear. But we challenge ourselves to be all that God wants us to be so that we have these words in our heart and our mind. Retain the standard of sound words. The word sound, here's another Greek language for you. "hugiano." we get the English word hygiene. There's something very sound, very healthy about living according to biblical truth. There was a study that was done a couple of weeks ago that was in the paper, and it's a couple of professors that wrote that if you want to have a good life, they said these things. If you want to have a good life, they said, get married, then have children. Work hard to stay married. Don't do drugs. Get a good job and work hard in your job. Be a patriot and serve your nation some way. And it was a big backlash against them. And yet those are concepts that come from Scripture in so many ways. So many ways. Dedication. Because it's healthy. God says, I want to give you a healthy life. And uh, then we need to pass it on. We need to pass it on. Question is who are we passing on our faith to? Who passed it on to us, and who's following us? One last thing, I don't have time to get into it, but if I did, I'd spend the whole service on it. Understand the times in which we live, because Paul says, "Pay attention to the end times." In both letters, he says, "Man, you better look at the end times," because it reflects on what God's doing today. And then finally. Three things. Connect with one another through personal relationships. Number two, grow in the knowledge and the learning, the application of God's Word. Number three, fulfill faithfully your ministry. Faithfully go after it. He says, I want you to overcome criticism. Paul, prescribe and teach these things, but don't let them look down on your youthfulness. You're so young, Paul, says to Timothy, but don't let them criticize you for your age. You know, when I came here to Calvary Church, I was the age that Eric is. And now, he seems very young to me. (laughs) You know, it's all perspective, isn't it? I love the fact that we have people on the platform leading us in worship who could probably, if I'd gotten married early, be my grandchildren's age. I love it. Please, many of us in this room right now in this service, you look at me and say, Dave, you're getting old, okay? I'm looking at you. (laughs) So are you, (laughs) all right? But don't let age affect vitality of faith and faithfulness. Please, overcome the criticisms. Don't let them look down. Rather... For me and for all of us, if I'm old or I'm young, I want to show everybody an example of those who believe what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And as he says, just persevere. Also, secondly, Timothy, pursue what's most important. Keep the commandments without saying or reproach until they appear in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a long time. There is no retirement. That's what I don't want to retire. My three R's, I'm not going to resign, I'm not going to retire. I don't want to retire. There is no retirement. When Jesus comes back, I will retire. I encourage you, don't retire until Jesus comes back. Has Jesus come back yet? No. no. Are you retired? No. So keep after it, okay? Part of a community. Change is hard. Be part of God's Word. And without staying or reproach, let's just keep going. But always remember who you serve. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And I love these words. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill. Complete it. What's yet to be done? Who else needs Jesus? Where else can I pass it on? Your. What's what's your ministry? What has God put on your heart? What is your giftedness? What is your passion? Where are you to take this ministry? And ministry is all about, word. we get the word deacons from it. It's a place of service. Where will you serve the Lord? I encourage you. I implore you. Let's be a community where we truly connect at a deep level with one another. Let's be a community where we grow in the knowledge and the application of God's Word. That we make decisions and we make plans based on truth and not speculation. And let's be a community that fulfills our ministry. Because there's still a lot of work to be done in Santa Ana and Orange County and in each of our lives who are here today. So regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of your ethnic background, regardless of whatever disabilities you may have, fulfill your ministry. Because that's what God has called us to do. Because I don't want in 40 years somebody to come and visit the ruins of Calvary Church like they visit the ruins of Ephesus. That's heartbreaking to even think about that. Let's rally together and accomplish all that God still has for us to do. Let me pray for us and pray for this i going to pray for our offering as receive it. We're so grateful for your gracious gifts. That's part of the ministry God's called us into, that we would be all that God wants us to be in this work. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you've done a work in my life. Thank you for calling me to be your child. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work in Calvary's life, that we would be the church you want us to be, that, God, you've impressed upon my heart from Paul's letters that we're a community where he speaks about Timothy as a child, a beloved child, where when they parted, they cried because they were so close, where there was intimacy and support, where there was an who would refresh Paul, who would be like a cool breeze to his soul. Thank you. Thank you for that. That he gave to Timothy the command to preach the Word, to rebuke, to reprove, to exhort. God, those those are hard. I don't like to be rebuked, Father, and yet your truth is important to me. May it be important to all of us. Help us, Father, to not base what we think on words that are more like myths and speculation rather than truth and eternal importance. Then help us, Father, to fulfill the ministry you've given to each of us in this room. We've all been given a ministry as a child of God. If we're a child of God, I've got a ministry. So whatever that may be, may I fulfill it. May I fulfill it in the context of a place called Calvary Church or a community called Orange County or a state called California or another country that you put on my heart. God, whatever it may be, wherever it may be, let us fulfill your ministry, Father. Now we offer our gifts to you, Lord Jesus, because you are worthy of our worship through words and through gifts. Thank you, as I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.